Hello, and welcome to GovConnect, where we sit down with local government innovation experts to bring you insightful stories and advice on technology, best practices, and the latest trends. And here's our host, Andrew Kirk. Hello, I'm Andrew Kirk, CitySource Chief Revenue Officer. And today I'm talking with Brendan Babb, the Chief Innovation Officer at the Municipality of Anchorage, Alaska. As our listeners hopefully know, our goal with the GovConnect podcast is to speak with as many interesting and diverse chief innovation officers, chief information officers, and IT leaders in order to learn about their rapidly changing roles in local government. Today, I'm going to ask Brendan about his background, including spending time as a programmer, as a researcher and academic, as a patent holder, and even someone who has uh, spent time as a Code for America co-captain. And I want to know how this you know, really diverse experience has impacted his perspective as the CIO of Alaska's largest city. Brendan, welcome to GovConnect. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be on GovConnect. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you. We'll get into your, you know, the specifics of your career and your background, but I think you may have one of the most interesting and dynamic sets of experiences to where you got into the role, which you've been in for about two years. Do people look at you in amazement? Do they scratch their heads? How do they think about you when they think about your experience of getting to CIO? Yeah, it's kind of a, a strange career path. Uh, my background's in mathematics. That's what I studied in college and got a master's in mathematics and computer science as well. And I kind of did the programming uh, for a while, working for different companies, and uh, was always interested in, in volunteering. Uh, my parents do a lot of uh, volunteering and got to a point where I was I was curious about like engineers without borders or doctors without borders. I wanted to try to help do stuff uh, with the talents that I had. So I uh, found out about Code for America and some of the volunteer work they do in terms of making government services better and helped uh, start Code for Anchorage here in Anchorage and uh, found that really uh, fascinating and invigorating. Awesome. Well, I uh, have done a lot of schooling myself personally, and uh, I've always said I would have loved to stay in that world as long as possible. Why don't we go ahead and jump into your background? It sounds like you've done quite a bit of schooling with the master's and then you know, coming out and kind of being a lifelong learner. So if you could give us a few minutes in background as you already started and tell our listeners about how you got to where you are today. My background was in mathematics. Um, I came back to Anchorage after grad school and was working for an internet telephone or a telephone company that became an internet cable telephone company uh, and doing mostly programming. Uh, have worked for a lot of different uh, programming places. Uh, and then I've uh, got interested in uh, genetic algorithms. I like to take one course a year at the university. I really enjoy learning new things and was learning about uh, algorithms that evolve and, and thought it was really interesting. And so started doing research with a professor at the University of Alaska Anchorage on image compression, kind of doing that on the, on the side, uh, taking classes while I was working at GCI, which is a internet phone company here in Anchorage. Uh, and then really found it interesting, um, and was lucky to get some research jobs at the university and, uh, just spent a lot of time working on that, mostly on image compression 
And it led to working with uh, JPL and NASA on Mars rover image compression. And after several years of, of research, uh, we were lucky enough to uh, get a patent on image compression that does a little better on uh, decompressing images that come back from the Mars rover. So it, it was really fun work. And then from there, I uh, did some more programming work and was doing uh, code for Anchorage, some volunteer coding, a lot of work on getting bus schedules in Google Maps. And we have a lot of applications where you can text in something and it'll It'll text you back an answer. And that kind of caught the attention of Mayor Berkowitz, who had just become mayor and uh, was talking to me about some of the work. And I was lucky enough to have him create the chief innovation officer position for me at the municipality of Anchorage. And it's uh, my dream job. I, I love uh, the people I work with. And it's it's just been great to make small changes that scale across the city. So just making something a little bit better, but having a thousand people use it is really rewarding. Mm-hmm. So tell us, it sounds like, you know, two years ago, the mayor created this new position and you came in. Was it something that was already in process and it just seemed like you were a natural fit based on your brigade work? Or was it something where you were having conversations because you were engaged and you perhaps planted the idea, planted the seed? How did that evolve two years ago or so when this role was created? That's a great question. And I might have to do further research to find out the full answer. But uh, there was a section when uh, Mayor Berkowitz was elected, there was a website and you could submit a resume for existing positions. I submitted one for chief data officer, which wasn't a position that existed, uh, but was a recently new position with some cities and some companies. I think after I submitted my resume, like a couple of weeks later, DJ Patel became the, the first uh, White House chief data officer. So I don't know if that, that spurred uh, the potential, but it took about a year after that until there was the chief innovation officer position, which was relatively new in cities at the time. But I'm excited to see that a lot more cities have that and, and states now uh, have that as well. I knew uh, Mayor Berkowitz and uh, I think just evolved from there. I'm not, I'm not sure if they had it, had a plan for that that didn't involve me, but uh, that would be something I could ask about. It sounds like you're a forward-thinking person. Once you got it, didn't ask questions, <laughs> get in the job and move forward. So that's great. Something interesting I think about you is you've got this programmer's background. You've got this really hard science and math and understanding images and how to compress those. Something at City Source that we've previously written about is this shift we think that's happening in definitely in the IT side of local government. I think traditionally innovation, people think of technology, where in the early days, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was really the people who understood the core technology. They were technologists themselves. They were selected for leadership. However, today, more and more, it seems the focus is almost as much on business process. And more importantly, the human aspects necessary to make technological shifts successful. How do you think about those skills and how does your background as a programmer hinder your work, but also serve as kind of a great success in the work that you do because you are a technologist at heart? I think it helps me uh, understand 
some of the software or processes that are used within government. Uh, so it gives me an advantage in, in knowing what I think might be possible or, or not possible for solutions. But then um, also a lot of the work I've done is in optimization or improving processes, either improving image compression or some work, some other patents I have on error detection and correction, but really kind of diving down into literally the bits uh, used in processes uh, and trying to see if there's a way to do something just slightly better. So I think that helps me in terms of, of looking at day-to-day work. A lot of the people I work with in the city are fantastic. Um, they are just busy every day delivering services to residents. So they don't often get the time to, to stand back and, and tweak their processes to make them better. They do what they can, but I have the luxury of being able to take a look at potential changes and, and work with frontline staff and see if we can test whether something would work better or not. Um, and if it doesn't work better, then we've just done a quick test and don't have to pursue it. And if it looks like it does work better and looks like it'll scale, uh, then try to see if we can make some process changes or policy changes. I'm super lucky because I get to work with experts in their field and and just learn uh, what they think would improve stuff, and we're able to measure it and make changes that seem to impact stuff. Um, so that's a lot of fun because it, it gives you a variety of different problems you're solving. And I'm not the expert in the problems, but I get to work with experts and, and learn learn new things all the time. Interesting. I'd like to unpack a little something there. You mentioned at the beginning your expertise in image processing and how you compress those. And once you have a static image and you're really looking at the very granular data, really interesting problem, but then you correspond that to a city, which is literally living organisms in your park and the streets and snowplow and potholes to the residents that you serve. And probably most importantly to you, the internal staff that makes up the city, they're constantly changing and moving. So how much of your background in looking at problems and looking really granularly for opportunities for change and innovation helped you and how much was kind of a big surprise once you stepped in and kind of rolled up your sleeves and looked at what the city was on a day-to-day basis kind of caught you off guard and maybe set you back potentially a little bit? I think one thing that's great is uh, when you're new, you get a lot of leeway to ask questions. Like I was legitimately curious about how things worked or why we were doing them a certain way. So when you ask why, why are we doing that? You're not asking from a, I think this is the wrong way to do it. You're just trying to learn how processes work. So uh, I spent a lot of time in the first six months talking to different people and just trying to learn as much as I could about how things worked, if they were done that way because of a bunch of reasons or if that's just the way they've always been done and if there were ways that we could change stuff or, or what could be changed. So so I think it helped just having the experience of optimizing things. Uh, and then also in my background, I uh, used to do some theater. I, I took a bunch of acting classes because uh, I wanted to direct theater. Uh, so just in my spare time, I, I did that. But I wanted to take acting classes first. So I knew what I was asking people to do when I was the uh, director of the uh, of the play. Uh, and 
that was just interesting learning how to work with people and also just the creative process of trying different things within a group. Um, and the great thing is in theater is, is someone will have an idea and you can just try it right there. Let's, let's try that idea out versus another idea and just see how it feels for the actors and see how it, it reads from, uh, from the audience. Uh, and just doing these really small, quick tests, I think was something that, that it's been useful for me, uh, when I'm working with people on technical solutions, but also just process solutions and personalities. Being unafraid to ask questions is incredibly valuable characteristic. And for some people, the farther that they move up the chart or the higher they get into leadership, that can be a difficult challenge. And they think, oh, I don't want others to see that I'm uninformed or I don't know. So I just won't ask the questions. And clearly that served you well in this case. So tell us about your I-team and specifically why did you create a separate you know, innovation team apart from other departments? Yeah, uh, we, Anchorage is uh, very lucky uh, to be one of seven innovation teams in this latest cohort from uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies. Anchorage has four or five different Bloomberg Philanthropies government innovation programs, uh, Cities of Service, What Works Cities, Bloomberg Harvard, uh, City Leadership, and uh, a couple others. Um, but one of the ones that I'm most excited about is the innovation team. We were asked to apply because we had a chief innovation officer, and um, we really put a lot of hard effort with other people in the mayor staff and other people in the city to uh, get in a solid application. And then we were lucky to get this grant, which is a, a three-year grant for $1.5 million from Bloomberg Philanthropies to set up an innovation team, which is kind of a high-level uh, consultancy group uh, for the mayor's office. So the goal is to take two or three complex problems uh, that the city is wrestling with, that the mayor is passionate about, and uh, really take the time to do deep dive research um, on the problem and try to find the root causes. And then we focus on data-driven solutions and human-centered design, which is really just going and asking the people that are using the services or dealing with the problem, going and interviewing them and, and seeing and shadowing them and, and seeing how, how they interact with the problems. What, what are their pain points? What are their barriers? And getting ideas and following those ideas and realizing they're a dead end and, and then going back to other ideas. So right now we started on uh, increasing economic opportunities for three neighborhoods in Anchorage, and that's led us to do some workforce development projects uh, with Code for America. We had a fellowship with them up here uh, last year, and that led to a website that that basically tried to prepare you for um, what you might need before you went to apply for a job, like if you had an ID and, and various certifications. Uh, so it's kind of a turbo tax for going to get a job. It asks you recent events and, and narrows searches to, uh, to websites or resources you might need. Uh, and then uh, through all our research, we've kind of focused now to food insecurity. And we are doing work on WIC, which is Women, Infant, and Children Assistance, and SNAP, uh, which is used to be food stamps, and then food pantry and kind of looking at the ecosystem to try to have people be less food insecure. Um, and it's it's been great. I have a, a team, uh, Patrick McDonald's a design strategist, 
Ben Matheson is our data analyst. And we just uh, had Emily Bokar start this week on Monday. Uh, she's our innovation strategist. And and Susie Marshall uh, used to be on our team as well. And now uh, is the director of IT here in the municipality uh, of Anchorage. So it, it's it's been great to be able to... We have an innovation lab on the first floor with a lot of windows. People walk by and we have orange painted walls and are a lot of post-its. You do a lot of stuff with post-its. And uh, it's great to work with experts and, and learn about their problems and, and get the luxury of time to actually to spend deep diving into how to solve these problems. As you mentioned, Anchorage is a participant in Bloomberg Philanthropies What Works Cities Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative, and as part of the Cities of Service, just to name a few. That seems like a lot of external initiatives. Obviously, the $1.5 million was wonderful, but does it ever feel overwhelming to have all these external parties involved in the work that you're doing? That's a great question. Initially, no. I mean, it's been great to have these resources and it's brought in new people to work with the city. Sometimes I wonder if we had more people that we could, we could fully explore some of the programs more, but, uh, I am often thrilled to leverage three or four different programs together to come up with a solution. Some of the What Works Cities, some of the connections I've made there, and then Cities of Service did some work on food insecurity and resilience. So they did some community gardens and school gardens, and we've been able to leverage that work with the I-team to as a, a starting place. So it's been great having the multiple programs and leveraging them. I mean, at the end of the day, we're super lucky to have all these programs, but I just want to use these amazing Lego pieces to come up with solutions that make services uh, better for residents in Anchorage. So to have a richer canvas of, of paints to uh, paint with is, is fantastic. What is it about Anchorage that made you such a good candidate as a recipient for all these different awards? Is it the characteristics of the population? Is it something about the size or even the way that the city was organized? How do you think all of these came together? I know that's a large question to probably undertake, but if you could think of a couple of things. No, no, that's a great question. Uh, there's definitely a cachet with Alaska. A lot of people want to come and visit Alaska. I was born in Fairbanks, Alaska, and have lived in Anchorage most of my life. And it is just a phenomenally beautiful place. You can be, I work at City Hall downtown and 15 minutes or 10 minutes, I can be out in the middle of the woods, nowhere. And it seems like no one's ever been there before. Uh, the ability for a work-life balance is, is really incredible. We have 220 parks and 200 miles of bike trails and ski trails. And it's just, it's really beautiful here. But then I would say a lot of credit goes to Mayor Berkowitz and his staff. Uh, they have just, uh, the mayor is always pushing me forward and I, I'm pretty far forward to begin with, but he has fantastic ideas and always is challenging the staff and his departments and directors to take him out past where he can see. So he always uh, you come up with a great idea and he's, he rewards you, but then like, how quickly can we implement that? Or how, what if we did this? Or how do we extend that? So status quo being the answer for why we're doing something is not acceptable to him. Uh, if you can say why we're doing it, but if it's because we've just always done it that way, 
he will ask you a lot more questions after that. So I, th- I think he's been a great driver and he's surrounded himself with a great staff and great directors and people that were already here are fantastic as well. And it's just uh, a combination of being at the right time and the right moment and having the right people. And it's, it's, it's been really fun to work in this environment. Great. So I think if I could distill that down, make your city a place that the uh, award committee wants to come and visit on vacation, I think is the, <laughs> is the takeaway point from all that. Well, that, that'll get you in the door, but then you have to be able to deliver. And we have uh, fantastic employees that are, are doing amazing stuff all the time. That I mean, you could get one grant just by having the visit possibly, but you really have to be able to uh, execute. And, uh, and everyone's done a fantastic job doing that. That's a great point. I was looking at some of the work that you had done online, and this was before you were ever even a city employee, and maybe even before you were involved with Code for America. And you had a TED talk there in Alaska, and it was all about the power of crowdsourcing. And it resonated with me personally, because when CitySourced originally began almost nine years ago, we really focused only on 311 service request reporting. And the name CitySourced was actually based off this concept of kind of sourcing from the residents and within your city. So since you have that background, I was just curious, do you think that this concept of crowdsourcing as a whole has made a significant and meaningful impact on local government and why or why not? Yes, I, I, I think it has. I think it's been a gradual growth, but uh, especially 311 numbers and applications where you like city source, where you can record this information um, from residents. Then when you have a, a data set that you can start analyzing, I, I think it really helps you um, come up with unique solutions or, or tackle problems you might not have known are there. So just seeing some of that data, I'm, I'm impressed with uh, Lee Tommy in uh, Cincinnati. She has been looking at uh, some data for people that their emergency services um, interacts with and then being able to track if opioids are involved and being able to kind of hotspot or dive into some GIS information about opioid use and and try to use that to to help with challenges there. Uh, I've seen other cities look at people that are frequently calling for ambulances or calling 911 and be able to find people that are frequently doing that and see if uh, social services or case managers can help with that. So getting this information is great. Also, the thing that I love about crowdsourcing is uh, I was looking at something where it was a game where you kind of folded proteins that scientists had created, but they just made it available for other people to to play. And there was someone who managed a shoe store and she was the best at folding proteins. Like, so just being able to find people in the community that might, you know, not think of doing that, but have uh, this ability that is the best in the world and being able to harness that is, I think, a great potential. Also, I think uh, the citizen engagement that you get uh, where people can see that they're making an impact on making their community better, um, I think helps trust in government and, and helps the government perform better. That's a little, a little over the top there, but. Right. So you have that direct impact, whether it's data sharing or citizens submitting information, but then I think you hit that secondary indirect, which is that may be a first stepping stone into more engagement by the citizen within their their local government and within their community and even becoming aware of what is out there and at the most basic level, what does my city or county 
even do for me. So that's really interesting stuff. Looking at your role, but perhaps expanding out to our listeners who are on innovation teams or our chief innovation officers, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing you and others in that role today? I think one challenge can be uh, you have dedicated public servants in in cities everywhere, and they've been through multiple administrations. And the chief innovation officer, if it's new, can be seen kind of as a flavor of the month, and and people can say, "Oh, we've we've kind of this is something we can just kind of wait out this uh, mayor's term or administration." That like trying to find one challenge is is not making more work for the departments that you're trying to help, but really trying to listen to the departments, see what their problems are, see if you can get a quick win initially um, to help show that there's value because you need to learn kind of about the process from the experts, but try to see if you can help with some immediate, immediate things. Uh, so just kind of winning the trust of departments uh, and the people that you're working with, I, I think is a challenge. I often joke that I kind of have a Harry Potter type title, uh, like Minister of Dark Arts or Chief Innovation Officer. So, so really trying to um, let people know that I want to encourage them to implement solutions they already know. They already know things that will make things better. Like I don't have to bring any new ideas. I have tons of ideas. I have a great network of other cities I can borrow ideas from. But really, uh, the staff here in the city of Anchorage already ha- knows how to make things better. They just often don't have the time because they're so busy uh, providing great services to residents. And I want to give them space to try out their idea, see if it works. If it works, celebrate them. If it doesn't, then that's something the the innovation team did or the chief innovation officer did that that didn't work out. I I want to give them the cover and the space to to create new things because. I'm lucky to have four patents, but a lot of it's because people have trusted me and given me enough space to to really experiment and fail hundreds of times. And failing in government is is hard because you are accused of wasting taxpayer money or you get written up in the newspaper. But but really, it's hard to improve things without being able to experiment. And we're super excited when there's new smartphones that come out and companies that are experimenting. We really encourage that in the corporate world. But that's something we should encourage governments to do, to uh, be not waste money, but to methodically... Um, Try small experiments, see if things could be made better, and then implement them, because that's how things improve. Mm-hmm. There were two things that, a lot, there was a lot in there, but two things that I really took away that resonated with me. One is that we call the idea of you don't want to be the shiny new toy, right? Because the shiny new toy is exciting for 6, 12 months, but then it can wear off, and that can happen in local government in the terms of the next election cycle or next administration. So it's, it's, it's a cool that you're thinking about that and not wanting to have that effect. And the second one is kind of normalizing failure and making it okay. And I think the first person I've talked to said, well, I can tell departments directly, I'll absorb the heat if there is any failure. So that's one thing you're doing, I think, to normalize failure. Are there are other things that you're doing within the organization to make the right kinds of failure feel a little bit more comfortable or acceptable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we were lucky to have the behavioral insights team as part of What Works Cities came up here and did a workshop about two years ago. Well, I guess a year and a half. And we had a workshop and we had a lot of different departments in there. And we were focusing on a known problem, uh, a treasury letter that we had 
that went out. If you got a speeding ticket and never paid it, eventually it would make it back to us and we'd turn it over to third-party collections. And we were hoping to have people pay those. So we took the letter and had about 30 people in a workshop and taught them some basic behavioral insights techniques. Uh, and then we broke into three teams. We purposely chose the team. So there were people from different departments because I, I wanted people to learn about other departments. And then we had our, our legal, our municipal attorney review the letter and he, he said you could change almost everything on it. So we uh, had people just take a look at the letter and come up with uh, compete to come up with different ways to make the letter better by making it uh, like making the paper pink, making uh, we used to just have the citation number. So you'd get this thing three years later and you had no idea what it was for. We had it list like, oh, this is for when you were speeding eight miles over the speed limit. And it was great to just have people realize they could change stuff. And they came up with great ideas to make the letter better. And we had a, a thing at the end of the day where we had like the muni manager and, and other people be the judges and decide who won. And we ended up combining um, the three groups' ideas and started sending out these letters and testing them. And they started performing better immediately. Uh, Treasury was getting phone calls on the collection plan that people didn't know about and people were setting up collection plans and ultimately treasury got really excited. They did a bunch of other changes and we spent $18,000 sending out letters. And after all the changes they made, they estimate they're going to get a million dollars over a year of additional revenue. Um, and they got 500,000 in the first year just from, uh, from making, making changes and getting excited about making changes. And so my goal is for people to be able to learn new techniques. I want to teach people to fish. Fishing is really big in Alaska. I want to teach people in departments how to fish so that they can uh, implement techniques and make their own uh, decisions. I mean, I'm excited to have an innovation team and I wanted to go on for, for 10, 15 years, but ultimately I want the city to not need an innovation team that's separate. I want them to be able to innovate within their own department, have tools and techniques, uh, support for trying new things and uh, constantly be learning new techniques. Um, it's great when a department uh, makes changes, gets to implement them and that it does better. Um, they get really excited and it's, uh, it's, it's really uh, fun to watch. Great. Now let's move into a staple of all of our interviews and let's get started with our rapid three questions. So starting off, number one, City Source is all about the power that local governments can have in delivering more services via the smartphone. So what type of phone do you use and what's your favorite mobile app? I have a iPhone X, uh, and I end up using uh, Google Maps a lot just because I like to, uh, walk from my house and I w helped get real time bus information in Google Maps, but try to see, uh, walk like half the distance to work and see if I can catch a bus for the other half. Uh, and if the bus isn't coming there, then I just walk the rest of the way, but it, it just makes it a little fun to see multi, multimodal transportation and also for me to, kind of uh, check to make sure the the data we're providing is, is working right. And then also Dark Sky, um, which is kind of a hyper-local weather app, um, and it, they're getting more information about Anchorage, but you try to just get a weather prediction for the next one hour or next 15 minutes in the zip code you're currently in or like really hyper-local to where you are. Number two, what's one book you most recommend or give away? 
It's a book called Biomimicry, and it's basically, it's a great book. I think I've given out three or four copies. It is trying to learn from what evolution has done in terms of how uh, nature has solved certain problems and basically leveraging what nature or indigenous people have, have used to solve problems and doing engineering solutions from that. There's stuff to the fins on humpback whales and how they are able to uh, have more power swimming that was used on wind turbines. There's a kingfisher is able to dive into the water without making much of a splash. And that ended up being used on the Japanese bullet trains when they were going through tunnels so they didn't cause sonic booms. Uh, so just kind of looking how nature has solved problems and, and trying to use that as a jumping off point. Uh, a lot of my work's been with genetic algorithms and uh, machine learning. So I'm basically evolving solutions. So that's something I find really interesting. Three, what's one tool, software, or even a non-technical hack that you are using to improve your life? Well, to slightly change that, one of the non-tech solutions we have here at the city is a compost exchange program. And it basically, we found out that people wanted compost. And what it is, is you, we just gave out buckets to people and they would put food scraps in it. You bring the bucket to the landfill uh, full and you give us the bucket of, of scraps and we give you a bucket of compost. So it's just an exchange program. But uh, it's done really well, and it's a really simple non-tech solution of just uh, people have a need, and we can help solve that problem. And it's just a bucket. It's not a smartphone app or anything like that. And uh, sometimes I, I like those solutions. We're The innovation team, we're working on getting people to sign up for WIC, and we're sending out postcards. And we've tried different postcards, and we're sending them to people who are likely – uh, eligible for WIC, and uh, we're we're seeing a lot of success and just doing quick experiments and uh, and uh, seeing how they do and just iterating on that. So a lot of people uh, go first to a smartphone app, but uh, really that's just another tool, and you need to figure out what is the problem you're trying to solve. And sometimes it's just a, a simple change of process, or you don't need tech all the time. Although I love tech. Well, that ends our episode for today. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining. Please let our listeners know where they can find out more information about you and connect with you online. Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is Brendan Babb and um, the Anchorage Innovation Team. Uh, if you just Google that and Medium, uh, you can see some of our blog posts and learn about the work we're doing. And then uh, Muni, M-U-N-I dot O-R-G is our uh municipality of Anchorage website. Somehow someone was smart enough to snag that right when they were given out um, website addresses. So it's just muni.org. And uh, you can learn, learn more about all the great stuff uh, the people I get to work with are, are doing for the municipality of Anchorage. And thank you so much. This was a blast. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure that we can find those links within the notes. And if you want to learn more about our mobile city hall, the listeners, you can reach us at citysource.com. And of course, if you have any feedback I'd love to hear it. Shoot me an email. It's andrew at citysource.com or on Twitter at Andrew K. Kirk. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and Spotify. Please subscribe to GovConnect through your favorite podcast service and leave us a review. It helps spread the word about GovConnect as the podcast for local government innovation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to GovConnect. Please make sure you subscribe. And don't forget, we need you to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best in local government innovation.